Welcome to Mazum Gumzo, African Scholarly Conversations, a podcast that highlights the perspectives of various stakeholders in academia and research fields across Africa through open dialogue on Mazum Gumzo on scholarly communication in Africa. Today's episode features an engaging session on the topic Using African Policy Data to Monitor Trends in Public Policy by Joy Owangu, the Executive Director of TCC Africa, and Michael Taylor, Head of Data Insights at Digital Science. Our final speaker is uh, Mr. Michael Taylor. He's going to take us through the AI aspect of how we can use uh, Altmetric in uh, in monitoring the, the performance of our policy documents, monitoring the trends and what impact this tool has on uh, the tools, on, on the policy documents and the policy reports that we produce. So the impact it will have on the governments and also the think tanks that produce these uh, policy documents and policy reports. And also at the same time, um, he's going to take us through also a demonstration on how it works so that you also know that these tools actually exist. Because as I was looking at the presentation, some of you are saying it is, how do we access some of these data sets? How accessible are they in terms of what databases do we get them from? Are they even free of charge? So all this, he's going to take us through an in-depth of how this um, this AI can actually support and also what they've been doing so far. And this is a solution I, I highly encourage all think tanks to start using and uh, whether it's national or continental, because one of the most interesting facts about this tool is that it is heavily used by funders and governments. And it also shows different matrices beyond the research matrices that we are used to, you know, like citations. It shows the impact in the social media because we are now living in the social media age. So who is talking about your who is talking about your policy documents? Which other think tanks are using this? Which other governments are using your your policy documents and see the impact that uh, the ripple effects and the impact that comes out of the documents and the reports that you have produced. So without further ado, Mike Taylor, over to you. Thank you very much, Joey. That was a lovely introduction. Hello, everybody. My name, is, my name is Mike Taylor. I've been working in the area of research impact for about 20 years. My background is as a social scientist, but also as a data scientist. So I'm particularly interested in the relationship between research and policy documents and how we can track the effect, the impact of research across a broad range of data points um, and different places where people are uh, discussing research, discussing impact and creating, creating policy documents. The word altmetrics, if it's new to you, which it might very well be, it was defined by a gentleman called Jason Priem in 2010. And Jason and a number of colleagues wrote a manifesto, which is linked on this website. Um, this manifesto describes what the ambition was for alternative metrics. And it was very much born out of a world that was becoming increasingly online. 
So whereas since the 1960s, our understanding of what research impact has been, has been defined by scientific journals and by the citations between the scientific journals, Altmetrics seeks to expand that idea of what impact of research is to use data that comes from around the world and from many different areas. The ones that I'm probably going to mention today, I will probably mention Twitter, I'm certainly going to mention Wikipedia, and of course, policy documents. I also wanted to say that my company, the company which is part of digital science is called Altmetric. We are a company that does Altmetrics and we've existed since 2011, but there are other companies that do Altmetrics. So for example, if you have access to Scopus, um, next to each research article, you may see some data coming from a company called Plum. Plum is owned by Elsevier. They do Altmetrics in the same way that we do Altmetrics. There was a vision for how we could create these broader ideas of altmetrics, but the, the real driver, and you can see this because we called the altmetric manifesto a manifesto, it had a, a vision that was uh, a political and social and that we would be trying to understand the impact of research in a way that was broader and more, more inclusive than had been seen in the previous 40 or 50 years. So the, this idea comes about because uh, platforms like Web of Science and Scopus had been used for 10, 20, 30 years to define what science was and what important science was, and also to uh, define what impact was. And it was all about connections between research articles and other research articles. And what it failed to do was to look at how research was reaching out into society, how it was linking with policy documents, how it was achieving conversations. And the field of altmetrics, um, which now consists of about 5,000 research papers, has been to look at how we can use this data and how we can expand this data to uh, model and to track and to uh, um, measure the effectiveness of research uh, across society. So there are some limitations, of course. When we started the idea of altmetrics, we were using uh, all of the data that we could, we could obtain. And there are limitations to that. Of course, there are limitations to that because not everybody has access to reliable internet services, or at least they didn't in 2010. Um, not everybody uses the same platforms and uses them in the same way. And actually this was one of the discovery journeys that researchers in the area of altmetrics had to go through, was to understand that different parts of the world and different disciplines in different parts of the world talk about research differently and use different platforms. So the, 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 the work that Altmetric has been undertaking for the last three or four years has been to actively look to see how, our, how can we expand our coverage of this relationship between policy documents and 
research and that I'm going to be talking a little bit about how we can go about um, expanding that vision and really why it's so important. I, I was very moved by the last two speakers, both of whom were talking about the relationship between artificial intelligence as we use it now and as we expect it to be used in the future and also the the degree to which we can form and access the idea of what research looks like so one of the one of the issues of using platforms like uh, web of science and scopus and again this is taking a, a historical view rather than the view of how the world sees research nowadays but very much those original databases were built using research that was coming from the northern hemisphere was coming from the us the uk from europe principally and this was very much shaping the idea of what research and impact looked like it was very focused uh with within the anglosphere within the North, northern hemisphere and yet now that we have um, all of these platforms both scopus and, and dimensions and web of science they're all more inclusive than they were and now that we are taking more active steps to take a more global view and listen to voices from different parts of the world, we can see that the idea that uh, the only important research is within that historical space is absolutely wrong. So one of the examples that I often talk about is, is the Zika crisis in Brazil, because this was an issue um, it's a few years ago now, but before COVID, it was an example of something a little bit like COVID in that the research, the original research was taking place in Brazil and you had different bodies of people who were researching Zika and they were coming from different perspectives. And as it turned out over the course of the, 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 the year, the 18 months when Zika was a, a real problem, probably the most impactful research was being driven by Brazil and not being driven by the US. So in the USA, particularly, they were looking for, for example, vaccines. Um, in Brazil, the focus was very much about water management, about communication, about uh, public health steps that could be taken to reduce the incidence of uh, the mosquito that was carrying, uh, was carrying the Zika virus. So if you look at the, the Z, if you look at Zika through the eyes of the US, you see one problem. And if you look at the Zika through the eyes of Brazil, you see a different problem. And it's actually, you have to see all of the research and understand what excellence looks like in Brazil versus excellence in the US. Because again, these are different things. We cannot use the same tools to measure uh, um, output from the US compared to Brazil. And this pattern can be seen in all areas of research. Zika happened to be the first case where it was incredibly clear that, that, that the differences existed in the data. But now that we, uh, now that researchers have access to this more inclusive sets of data, they are able to look at what works and what communicates and how we impact research and how we impact policy documents in a much more broader way. Everywhere we look, we find these differences. Now, I, I wanted to talk to you a little bit about Wikipedia. Um, and there are many reasons why Wikipedia is so important. First of all, within the, the, 
there are many, many different Wikipedias. The English language Wikipedia is the biggest. Um, and then the next largest tend to be European languages like Spanish and French and German. But the further we look, the more we see different kinds of Wikipedia. For example, uh, um, adult metric, we index Wikipedias and we now have, I think, 38 languages which are uh, available for us to look at it. So within those Wikipedia pages, when we find something, we will, when we find a page, we'll often find links at the bottom that say, that link back to often research or news articles that um, provided the information on which that Wikipedia page was built. And within that, there are millions of citations from Wikipedia pages to research, to books and to journals and to preprints. Millions and millions of these links exist. And this gives us the ability to look into uh, different areas of research and to look at how different languages cover research in different ways. So for example, if we look at, uh, um, if we found, for example, a, a Wikipedia page of um, a Kenyan researcher, that that page might be different in the English language Wikipedia. It might be different in the Swahili um, language uh, uh, or the other local languages uh, Wikipedia, and it may not exist in German or French. So we can see that there are different focuses. For example, the, uh, the, the focuses not only on individual people, but also on issues that are peculiarly important, particularly important to a country or to a people or to a language. All of these differences exist. Now, when people started studying Wikipedia, there was an assumption that English being the largest Wikipedia dominated the conversation. And this hypothesis I've modeled as a, as a simplified Venn diagram. Essentially, people were assuming that English covered everything and that all other languages were um, a subset, were a reduced version of English. This is not true. Um, my colleague, Dr. Carlos Araya and myself are working on a paper, which we will hope to submit, that shows in fact that contrary to that hypothesis, it, the case is that all other languages are more important in terms of modeling scientific discourse than English. And the reason for this is because of the attention that we pay to Wikipedia. It's an incredibly important tool for understanding research. It is the, I think the last time I looked at Wikipedia as a whole was the seventh most visited website in the world. And if we look at the impact of Wikipedia, because the content is open, it is accessed by um, tools such as ChatGTP and by search engines. So Wikipedia itself is not just an important tool for describing, for being an insight it's also a tool, a platform that provides data to other tools. So it's a very important area, um, something to get right. So as I say, Wikipedia in many different languages offers a much more complete vision of what research, what policy looks like 
when we take into account all of the other languages. So this is a really good case of where just focusing on English provides a very biased view of the world. And actually, as our previous speakers have said, we need to look at research from around the world in different languages, from different perspectives, and use this data to build representations of what science, what policy looks like. So policy documents are amongst the hardest to track and to understand. If we look at Wikipedia and Twitter as an example, then they're quite easy for us to access the data. In the case of Wikipedia, the data is available, uh, freely available without, a, without copyright. And there is one place to go to get the information. And secondly, in Wikipedia and in Twitter as well, links to research and policy documents for that matter are standardized. So they always look the same. And that means that from a computational perspective, from someone like myself who works in data, it's very easy for us to find a link. We can predict what links are going to look like. We can understand those links. We can calculate them. We can model them. Policy documents are really, really hard. And one of the, the, one of the reasons why they're so difficult is because where they are kept changes. And one of our, one of our, our previous speaker alluded to this, talked a little bit about um, the, the difficulty of storing policy documents and, um, and, and how hard it is to find them. We have to remember that when we write a policy document, it can take you know, many years. It's a very lengthy process to go through. We have to, as um, again, as previous speakers have spoken to, we have to collect data. Um, we have to reflect on it. We have to share the documents. And unfortunately, what happens then is not necessarily the, um, uh, the, the ideal. So for example, um, and I'm going to use examples from, uh, from, from the Northern Hemisphere for two and for, uh, for Brazil as well. Um, so as many of you will know, in the UK, in the United Kingdom, we've had a lot of political change, a lot of political turmoil for the last 13 or 14 years. And one of the effects of having had uh, I think it's four prime ministers or five prime ministers, I forget, in 10 years, is that they have different policies, they have different emphases, and the names of departments will change. So, for example, the Department for Business has been the Department for Innovation, Innovation and Business. It has been the Department for Business and Science. It's been the Department for Business, Innovation and Brexit. And every time it changes, the, the website changes. And that means that we then have to go away and find the policies again. So we have to chase governmental departments because they very often don't say when one department has moved to another department or when one set of documents has moved from another. This is very, very difficult. And it really, I, I, I am a great advocate of the role of, uh, of um, uh, organizations to manage policies and for the role of librarians and other curators to manage the presentation and the preservation of policy documents, because ultimately we want them to be used. And increasingly the world of policy publication 
is more than just individual people looking at a PDF file. It is about influencing discourse, about influencing impact across a wide range of indicators. The second issue that we often see is that policy documents are removed from websites. Now, I have no issue with um, someone replacing a policy or updating a policy, um, but it can be very complicated and difficult to un uh, and difficult for people to understand what policy has changed, for example. So for an example, when uh, uh, Donald Trump was elected as president of the United States, um, under his direction, a number of documents about climate change were removed from uh, the, the, the US government's website. And we saw this again with, uh, with the election of a Jair, um, Jair Bolsonaro in Brazil. Um, again, when many um, policy documents about forestry and land preservation and the, the rights of, uh, of, of, of native Brazilians were removed um, by the dozen from governmental websites in Brazil. So this makes the, the job of people like ourselves who are trying to make policy documents accessible much more complex. As I said before, we have um, many different issues about um, policy coverage. And sometimes this is just a question of, um, of, of the infrastructure and of the working practices. You know, if we have a look at, uh, at the map here, um, we can see that on, on the right-hand side of the African continent, we have quite a strong representation of policy documents that we have been able to read and to understand using, um, using artificial intelligence. Um, and you know there, there are lots of reasons for this. The work of Kipra is is a is a really good example of that. Um, but of course, there are many countries in Africa where we have very few uh, very few documents from. I don't think there are any countries that have zero, but very few. Um, again, just thinking about this in global terms, uh, you know, if we can look at, uh, for example, in the in the center of the uh, Asian continent. There are um, countries such as Kyrgyzstan and Turk Turkmenistan that have so few connections with the outside world that as far as we can tell, they have no publicly available policy documents. In other countries, uh, for example, uh, Greenland at the top, um, Greenland has three official languages. They have uh, English, they have Danish, they have Greenlandic. Um, and so they have to juggle uh, policy documents in many different languages. But because of their website, because of the way that they publish those policy documents, it means that we can access them, even the ones in uh, the, lang the Greenlandic uh, language, which is only spoken by, I think, 2000 people, um, can be understood by artificial intelligence. In terms of policy documents and broader social, um, so social impact, Having your research cited in a policy document is one of the most important pieces of impact that a, a researcher can receive. Um, for example, I, I have a, a couple of examples here. I won't talk about them in any great depth, but making policy documents available to the public on a website means that researchers can discover this. And it's really important for funders. So for example, um, 
I, I'll, I'll talk about the second one. So a Brazilian researcher wrote a piece of work about domestic violence and the impact that domestic violence has on uh, women's ability to look for healthcare. And that research was very, very influential. And because the United Kingdom um, publishes their policy documents, the Brazilian researcher, who was a friend of a friend of mine, was able to find that her work was being cited globally by the US, by, in the UK. And this was really important because she gets funding from local funders in Brazil. But being able to say my research is being used in the UK opens up the, the possibility of getting international funding or international co collaborations or co-authorships. Um, similarly, uh, I, I did some work for a, a, a research hospital in the US. And in this case, they were looking for evidence that their, 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 their neglected tropical disease, um, actually, no, sorry, their HIV uh, research was being used um, to formulate public policy. Um, this was particularly in the area of communication. And again, by finding a document that was published in Africa, we were able to connect their research to the policy document and to show that this clear relationship between them exists. Research funders, as, as, as Joy uh, mentioned, research funders, particularly in Europe, in the US and in the UK, routinely ask for evidence of social impact. So when they are, when a, an academic is applying for a research fund or research grant, they are asked, they have a whole page where they have to say, what impact is my research going to have on society? How am I going to communicate this? How do I build my network to have a broader impact? This is only going to build this idea that research has to be connected to a broader environment will increase even more over the next few years. It's not just about the technology, it's also about the public visibility of research and the understanding um, of the people who pay taxes, who therefore are funding the research, of understanding where that research is going to and the effect that it's going to have. The open science movement, which has been around for 22 years, is very much part of this about opening up research, opening up um, policy documentations, and ensuring that all people have access to the results of research. So we, I said that we would talk a little bit, um, I'm just mindful of the time. Um, we'll talk a little bit about what makes policy documents easier. Really, what we're looking for, what anybody is looking for, and whether it is Altmetric or whether it is a search engine or whether it is ChatGTP, what we're looking for are documents on websites that are clearly labeled, that stay in place, that there is open access. So we're not asking people to fill in uh, an email or, uh, uh, or register on a website. We're looking again for documents that are in easy formats. Uh, HTML web pages are fine, PDF documents are fine. This enables data to be opened up. 
and to be found. And this is ultimately what we need to be doing with both research and with policy documents, is making it easy to find. Because if it can't be found, then it won't become part of that model of scientific discourse. For example, if we're thinking about the uh, the description of, uh, say, uh, 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 um, I, I did a little search in uh, ChatGTP, um, so to look for uh, sustainable agriculture in Benin. Um, and this is the, the response that ChatGTP as embedded in Skype produced. And you can see whereabouts it's drawing its knowledge from. Um, so in this case, uh, an academic paper that was posted in ResearchGate, um, but uh, also from the World, World Food Programme. And actually, if we click on this link, it will open up the web page which shows us the the world food program so again you know as our previous speaker was saying this is an international organization um no doubt their work is very good work no doubt they have uh that they write this with uh um with uh, the uh, uh with uh, uh colleagues um from around the world um but it's obviously not african driven research in the way that we probably want to see so it's a very straightforward document. I don't have to register. I don't have to log into it. It describes what it is. Um, and all I need to do is to click on it, download. In this case, it's really simple. And because it's simple, ChatGTP um, is, an, is able to come to this web page to download this text into its memory and to use that text to build an idea of what the uh, of what the policy for um, sustainable agriculture in Benin is um, and again you can see this text and you can track this text down there are many different um, many different areas um, you can see here again about how ChatGTP has related policy and academic research together um, we do this kind of work in, in, in dimensions as well. So if you go to uh, dimensions, we have a trial program, which is doing the same kind of thing. But these, these uh, statements, this is how the world is going to be finding its information for the next 10 years. They're built on open data and we have to supply tools like ChatGTP with open data. Um, I asked ChatGTP whether it could talk to me in Swahili. Um, and it answered it could. I didn't know that it could do this. Um, but uh, um, as you can see, again, this is really important about why we think about languages and perspectives and how we supply the world with information, how we make that information open. This is my final slide before I finish. I am aware that we are coming up to the hour for altmetric for dimensions for and other tools like ChatGTP is to grow that representation of research. And we have to, language isn't an issue. We are, don't have to worry about people writing in English. Translations are, are, are relatively easy. We've been adding different languages. I said that we'd uh, got up to 30 something uh, languages in Altmetric on Wikipedia. We just added Swahili. There are um, several tens of thousands of academic citations in Swahili. Um, interestingly, um, again, the representation of, of science, of knowledge in the Swahili Wikipedia is different from English. 
um, you can readily find individual people who've got longer entries in Swahili with more research cited than in the English equivalent. If you have data repositories, policy documents or blogs that you would like us to add or to even look at and to give you some advice, please email me. Um, we take our responsibilities to global research incredibly seriously. Um, and I uh, look forward to this discussion. Thank you very much for listening to me today. Thank you so much. Thank you so much, Mike. And uh, for everyone who made it to the to the for the webinar, we have participants from all over the world. We have participants from Pakistan. We have participants from Scotland, from the UK, Uganda, Rwanda, Sudan, Nigeria, South Africa, and Rwanda. Thank you for making time to be with us. Thanks for joining us on today's episode of Mazum Gumzo Podcast. Be sure to subscribe and follow us on all our channels for more updates and for candid stories by researchers, policymakers, higher education leaders, and innovators on their journeys. See you in our next episode.